I really wanted to turn 15 because I lived in South Carolina and I could get my driver's license at 15. Melinda and I got married and we counted off about 150 days before we got married. We counted down. I remember the first time that we took our children to Disney World and there was this countdown for how many days until we got to Florida and one of the children before any of us were awake started yelling from bed it's the day it's the day one day more and it's Christmas we're waiting for the morning in many different ways we are waiting for the morning we know that there is darkness around us in the world we know the night is cold we know it's an interesting Christmas if you see the blue icicles all over the map of the United States you know that this is a Christmas colder than any other Christmas for a very long time not only for us but for other people it's cold enough that we went in and tried to turn on a sink in the corner of our house last night and nothing happened fortunately we did not have a corresponding waterfall today when things finally got to 33 degrees inside our walls but it's nighttime and we are we are waiting for the morning lots of us are waiting for the morning because we feel that as beautiful and as brilliant as the night sky can be there is something that is coming that is worth waiting for that as beautiful and as restful and as calm and as peaceful as the night can sometimes be experienced, there is something that is worth waiting for. In front of the National Archives in Washington, D.C., there is a statue. And on that statue, there is this inscription that says, What is past is prologue. One writer talks about a cab driver who had a fare who asked, what does that inscription mean, what is past is prologue? And the cabbie said, it means, brother, you ain't seen nothing yet. Old Zechariah, in those two verses that I just read moments ago, old Zechariah breaks out in poetic song this astonishing piece of literature that no believer would go wrong in memorizing a magnificent piece that builds up to these verses that we heard moments ago by the tender mercy of our God the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace what is past is prologue the whole song of Zechariah shows us and, and seeks to to present to us this prologue to what he is looking forward to this prologue to the announcement that he is making this prologue to this pivot of history 
after which nothing ever will be the same again, and before which nothing could ever quite be complete. What is past is prologue. Zechariah's song begins, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for He has looked favorably on His people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of His servant David. As He spoke through the mouths of His holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. David, the greatest king in the history of Israel, the king that many of the books of the Old Testament describe as the quintessential example of what it means to be a strong leader, a person who follows the will of God, a broken person for sure. A person who had made decisions that affected the rest of his life. He would never be the same after Bathsheba. And yet David, throughout most of the Bible, is understood to be the greatest historical king of Israel. And that king against whom everyone else's reign was compared and found wanting. When leadership was needed, God called a shepherd from Bethlehem. Now, don't let it just go past in your consciousness that tonight as we sing of Bethlehem, that David is from Bethlehem also. It is this shepherd from Bethlehem who becomes the ideal king of Israel and a thousand years later, it is this baby in Bethlehem that ends up being the climax of the line of David. The answer to the prayers of all the people of Israel. Zechariah, when he sings, brings up David and his rule. David, the shepherd from Bethlehem. David, the man after God's own heart. David has built himself this magnificent palace. And he says, what in the world? I have a big house and God is out there living in the tent. I want to build a house for God. And God, through his prophet, says, no, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house you're not going to build me a temple. I'm going to build you a dynasty. And God promises David a dynasty, a descendant who will perpetually occupy the throne of David. And so we look at David. This, this song of Zechariah starts with this promise to David that you haven't seen anything yet. A king is coming of whom David is only the type, only the forerunner. A king from Bethlehem. A king with God's own heart. An eternal king. Zechariah goes on to sing. Some of you are thinking, when are we going to stop singing? We sang a lot. It's good to sing at Christmas. Zechariah goes on from talking about David 
to talking about Abraham. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors, and he has remembered his holy covenant. What holy covenant? The oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we being rescued from the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So we have this image of David which then moves to this, this image of Abraham. The Lord made promises to Abraham to give him land, to give him descendants, to make his memory great in all of the world. And Abram believed those promises and acted upon them. Doesn't mean he was perfect. He got into enough trouble himself. He ended up in the midst of a severe famine going down to Egypt and almost losing his wife, Sarai, to Pharaoh's harem. And then when enough time has passed, he and Sarai try to make God's promise come true even before it's time for it to come true. But finally, finally in this image, this disturbing image from Genesis chapter 2 as God has finally made the promise come true in this child, Isaac. And God says, Abram, Abraham, go to the mountain where I will show you and sacrifice your son, Isaac. And Abraham has finally come to trust God. And so, he is prepared to offer the most precious thing in his life to God. And God says no. And provides the lamb. Abraham, old Abraham, ancient Abraham. We look at this image of Abraham from the song of Zechariah. And Zechariah says, you haven't seen anything yet. So Zechariah starts off with, with David and goes back to Abraham and then he moves into what for him is the present. And he begins to speak of his own child, John the Baptist. And he says, you child will be called the prophet of the Most High for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the forgiveness of their sins. So we move from David to Abraham to this strange figure on the edge of the Jordan who prepares the way for the Lord. He is the voice crying out in the wilderness. He calls people to repentance for the forgiveness of their sins and He gives us life. He is martyred for spreading the message. If you were in church recently when we talked about John the Baptist two weeks ago, you will remember that Jesus says about John the Baptist, among those born of women... There is no one greater than John. 
yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You can look at David, you can look at Abraham, you can look at John, and you haven't seen anything yet. So we wait. We await the fullness of time when God will do for us what He has promised. Henry Nouwen, the great spiritual writer, says, Waiting is a period of learning. The longer we wait, the more we hear about Him for whom we are waiting. One of the outstanding characteristics of the New England preacher Phillips Brooks was his sense of imperturbability. His intimate friends, though, knew that he could, in fact, be perturbed and that he would get frustrated and irritable. And one day a friend saw him pacing the floor like a caged lion. What's the trouble, Reverend Brooks? said the friend. Reverend Brooks said, The trouble is I'm in a hurry, and God is not. God is not in a hurry. God waits for the right time. Here is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the message, the Bible in contemporary language, of Romans 8, 22 to 25. Listen. Listen, all around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the larger we become, or the the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. One more night until Christmas. And we are waiting for the dawn. We wait and we remember that tonight we share in this anticipation of God doing something magnificent. We remember that the past is prologue. And God on Christmas Eve is prepared with an almost giddiness to reveal His gift to the world. There are shepherds abiding in their fields. There are wise men looking toward the sky. There are angels' choirs rejoicing. There's a star to be hung somewhere up there. The night may be long. 
The night may be dark, but John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, reminds us that God is working patiently, decisively, lovingly. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Dear Christians, one day more, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.